thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Thank you for downloading this podcast from The Reedy Clubby Show on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more, please go to 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za. Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Chris, good morning, sir. Good morning. It's time for The Naked Scientist. Chris? Yes, hello. Ah, there, there you are. There you are. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm in good form. How are you? Uh, very, very well. I believe you're coming to South Africa f- fairly soon. Is that right? Well, it's looking very likely, yes, that for the RAND show in April. We're just firming up the details now, but it looks like we'll be there across Easter. So we're going to do some shows and we might pop into 702 if we're really lucky. And maybe so you. <laughs> it's up to you. I, 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 no, I think we're going to grab you by the ankle and drag you into studio. I think it'll be well, fun. That'll be good. That'll be good. We, did, we came along last year, didn't we, and uh, did a, a really nice um, thing in, in the morning. We did some experiments. Lots of people, mad people, clearly turned up to see and take mad part. People, no, interested scientific people. Mad people are the best people in the world. Well, I didn't say they weren't, but uh, <laughs> there still must be mad to come to see us on a Thursday morning. But there we were. Ah, uh, um, So, uh, urban impact on evolution of animals. Talk to us about that. It's quite interesting, this. I've been um, reading this, mm. and uh, it, it's, if you look back a few hundred years, there's yes. this quite interesting story in evolution with moths. And people who've been reading their biology textbooks will probably remember the case of the peppered moth. And there are, there are these moths that have little speckles on their wings. Mm-hmm. And they used to be white with black speckles. And then around the time of the Industrial Revolution, when the whole of largely Europe, but especially Britain, turned into one giant factory burning coal, yes. and the air was black all the time, you saw a new strain of these moths appear. And instead of having white wings with black speckles, they had black wings with the odd white speckle. And it wasn't because the moths were covered in coal dust, it was because they had changed genetically. Because wow. by being black, they actually were much harder for their predators to spot on the, the coal tar-covered surfaces of trees and other surfaces. They had evolved. And that now picky. scientists have been looking at... Well, yeah, exactly. And um, it's surprising, isn't it? Mm. But now other scientists are reporting other cases of animals responding to the modern world. And there are cases of birds which have changed their bird songs to accommodate the noisy urban environment. Mm-hmm. There are even cases of fish which have uh, evolved to respond to the presence of various chemicals in various waterways. And this is a bit of a worry, actually, because you would say, on the one hand, you think, well, that's really good, isn't it? The fact these animals have changed and evolved and accommodated and assimilated to the the world as we're making it. Yeah, yeah. The problem is that the the ecological people will, will be arguing, and probably quite rightly, that for every change there is a cost. 
And if these animals change the way they look, then it probably will, will have an impact on their reproductive fitness, in other words, their ability to breed successfully. Mm -hmm. They looked the way they did and they operated the way they did for a reason, mm -hmm. uh, because they fitted into nature that way and their, their survival strategy and their breeding strategy was optimal. In response to pressure from humans, us tipping chemicals into water, us driving lorries down roads, making birds' wings shorter, not because we've mm -hmm. hit them, but because the birds have evolved to have shorter wings so they can get out of the way of traffic faster. Right. The consequence is that away from that environment, there may well be a disadvantage. So we could be introducing into the wider world genetic changes which are not really that beneficial, except in the small microcosms of, of polluted areas that, that we make. That's right. So th this is interesting that the time scale appears to be so short for these changes to occur. Yeah, um, and it's important that we spotted wow. it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. I didn't think it, it happened that quickly. Also, mm -hmm. uh, would we not then be breeding new species that way? You know, well, you're not necessarily breeding a new species pigeon. in the sense that, um, for instance, I look very different to people who live in Beijing in China on the whole, the non-white ones. Mm -hmm. They look Chinese, I, I don't. I look Caucasian. But we're still the same species. It's just that there are different combinations of, of genes which have made them look slightly different or affect the way that hair is coloured, the way that faces and skin is coloured, the way that your face is constructed. Mm. You're still the same species. Those, those genes so don't affect wrong. our reproductive fitness. Whereas, uh, if you're a bird and you evolve to have much shorter wings, you're yeah. still the same species of bird as one that has longer wings, and when there's lots of traffic around, you can get out of the way quickly. But if a, if a bird comes along that means you need to fly fast to get out of its way, otherwise it's going to eat you, then the guys with the short wings are now at a disadvantage. And so if those genes get out into the more broad population and affect animals that are not living in cities or not living where there's lots of traffic, mm -hmm. you could actually be making that, that bird species more vulnerable to being preyed upon, which is not in the grand scheme of things no, a good okay. thing. Uh, yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. We have, we have a number of people wanting to ask questions here. Uh, Daniel in Midran, hi. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. We have the naked scientist on the line. Fantastic, fantastic. I've got a question, uh, but it's a question that I'm a little bit scared of hearing the answer to, so I hope the jury is still out on it. Um, mm -hmm. As with many South Africans, people have been driving around. I've spent lots of time in my car, mm -hmm. and I tend to put my cell phone either on my lap or between my legs. I do use a hands-free kit, but mm -hmm. uh, then I can at least see who's phoning and what's going on. I'm just concerned about uh, having a cell phone in your lap or between your legs. That's what would the impact of radiation and stuff like that be? I'm a little bit concerned regarding that. Or is there, um, hasn't there been enough studies on it? I'd like to hear the, the, the naked scientist's opinion on it. I'll listen on the radio. Thanks. Okay. Interesting question. Daniel's got three legs now. Well, then you did have already, I suppose. Who's uh, got three well, Daniel, legs? the answer. <laughs> I was being slightly <laughs> crude, but never right. mind. Um, <laughs> I won't ask him how many children he's got. But the bottom line here is that the radiation that comes from a mobile phone is microwave radiation, mm -hmm. and microwave radiation is a long wavelength form of radiation which is not judged to be sufficiently energetic to break the bonds in different chemicals. Right. And we regard radiation that can cause genetic damage and therefore is a cancer risk as radiation that has enough energy to break the bonds in molecules and specifically DNA to introduce changes in your DNA and therefore mm -hmm. potentially mutations that can lead to cancer. We don't think that's a risk with microwaves. But 
And the reason I'm but. saying but is that uh, you often see microwaves being produced in microwave ovens in your kitchen. Yes. And microwave ovens use microwaves to heat food, and they do that because the microwaves can make water molecules in food jiggle around roughly one and a half billion times a second, and that jiggling causes friction at a yeah, molecular level, and this warms up the food. Yes. That's right. Now, the thing is that if you hold your phone to your head for a long time, you'll notice that there is an, a heating effect. Mm -hmm. And what is between the legs of men are your testicles. And your testicles are between your legs and not inside your bodies where women's equivalent, the yeah. ovaries, are, because sperm, which are made in the testes, are best made at about a one degree temperature drop away from body temperature. So the, you mm. need to keep things cool down there in order to have optimal sperm production. Scientists I have done see. studies on people putting laptops on their laps and showing that this is enough to elevate lap temperature by several degrees in some cases, and this can affect sperm count. They've also looked at people who spend a lot of time driving, bus drivers, lorry drivers, taxi drivers, where obviously the posture in the car means your legs are close together and temperatures rise, and sperm counts tend to be lower. They've also looked at countries where there's a big seasonal difference between summer and winter, uh -huh. like South Africa, like yeah. bits of America, like bits of Australia, and they found that during the summer, again, sperm counts will dip. So there is a small chance that if the phone is getting very hot between your legs, it could be increasing your interleg temperature, and this could be increasing your testicle temperature, and, and this could be diminishing you. your sperm count, although we think the effect should be temporary. So if you put the temperature back to normal, hopefully the sperm production rate will go back to normal. Well, bring back the kilt, I say. Well, if he's putting his phone down there, that's not really going to help, is no, it? No, it isn't. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it might even improve access, you never know. Um, in Bryanston, we have Rory. Hi, Rory. Hi, hi, guys. Hi. Um, I have a question about the, the behavior of corn flour when you mix it with water. Mm. Um, and when you start to stir it, if you stir it slowly, it, uh, it behaves like a watery liquid. And if you stir it really fast, it, it tends to harden up and then goes back to watery if you, if you stir it slowly again. Yeah, what causes that? Hello, Rory. The answer to this is that the cornflower is behaving as what we call a non-Newtonian fluid. If you were to zoom in with a really powerful microscope and you were to look at the cornflower, what you would see are these tiny particles of starch, which is what the flower is, and those starch particles are all kind of jagged and irregular shapes. And when they are in a solution of water, there is water all around the particles, and the water can act as a lubricant. So when you make your solution of cornflour in water and then you gently pick some up, the water helps the particles to flow past each other and it's all runny. But if you squeeze the cornflour or try to move it very fast, what you do is jam the cornflour particles together. This pushes the water out from between them and then the particles have nothing to lubricate their movement so they cram against each other and as a result they act like a solid and it behaves roughly like rock until you release the pressure from it and then the water re-surrounds each of the particles again, re-lubricates them and it runs away like a liquid. And it's a really important demonstration that because if you think about what people do down mines or they are doing when they're drilling for oil, one of the things they're doing is pumping water down into the well in order to remove the particles of rock and dirt that they're drilling through 
And if you get the pressure a bit too wrong, mm -hmm. or you put the pressure up a bit too high, then you end up with all these particles that should be surrounded by the, the water and the mud that they pump down into the well, and that will be pushed out of the way, all the particles will jam together, and then your pumps are effectively trying to pump rock, which they don't do terribly well, and things break. So this, this ah. cornflower demonstration is a really nice example of, of how special and clever the oil industry are, and similar industries, in order not to damage their drilling infrastructure and be able to produce those very, very deep shafts that they're able to drill. Oh, nice question, Rory. Okay, thanks, guys. Cheers, you take care. Um, uh, we have in Winterfeld, Loazi. Loazi, hi, you're on the air. Oh, hello, hello, Tom. how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, Mr. Sainted, I have a... I think it's, this is a crucial question which might actually save some, in, some endangered creatures. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, li I live in an area where, where we have these very tall lines called owls, no? Yes. We used to have a lot of owls, which are nocturnal creatures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, because these are polos, they shine so bright at night. It looks almost as if the sun hasn't set. And over time, we've uh, I've seen I've seen these owls disappear. I haven't seen an owl in a very long time. And I've also seen a change in behavior amongst the, the cat that we have at home, because it sleeps out at night. And ever, ever since these polos have been turned on, it's been, I don't know, getting sick, and the dogs have been more vicious over time. So I'm, I'm wondering, does light at night from these lights uh, kind of like uh, change Affect, the habits yeah. and behaviors of these nocturnal creatures? Did you get Hello, that, Chris? Well, yes, I did. Uh, so... Just to summarise, I mean, the question that's being asked is, if we put artificial lights into an environment that should be nice and dark, yes. at night time, obviously, mm -hmm. does this have an impact on wildlife? And the answer is yes, it does. And scientists are beginning to look at this. There have been some studies in places like Germany mm -hmm. where they have compared a piece of woodland and then they've looked at what happens if you put street lights along where the woodland is and you sample which species crop up in the illuminated part of the woodland you also look at what gets preyed upon, what gets eaten, mm -hmm. and also what time birds start singing. Because birds traditionally wire up their singing and their, their so-called dawn chorus to sunrise or just before dawn. And this is because they have a clock in their brain which is ticking away and it knows what time it is. And the birds wake up before dawn, they start singing, and they herald the sunrise with their songs. If there are abnormal lights, they start singing at the wrong times. And you do, you, there is very strong evidence that um, birds will sing at the wrong times of nights, and if they're singing, and they're singing at the wrong time of night, they're attracting the wrong sort of mate. And the reason for this is that birds sing to attract mates. If the mates turn up and it's dark, or the mates turn up and there are street lights there, the birds have evolved colour patterns and plumage to look pretty for each other, in the same way that we put makeup on or wear our best clothes to look good for the opposite sex, attract them. Right. Birds do exactly the same thing. But when they're viewed under an orange street light, their colours look completely different. So the fittest, best-looking bird may not get the fittest, best-looking mate. So you might end up with poorer mate choices, and this will lead to a loss of genetic fitness, uh, similar to what we were saying at the beginning of the program. Yes, so actually yes. there can be quite a significant impact. So you end up with the best bird is not breeding with the best bird, and as a result there can be a, an ecological consequence. So it, it can potentially have serious, serious repercussions in the long term if we alter the environment in this way. It's a good question. Yikes, I had never thought of that. So, so essentially what you're talking about, doc, uh, Doctor, is um, we're, we're not just polluting in terms of air pollution. There's light and noise pollution and all sorts of other things. Yeah, and if you've got birds which are singing to uh, try to outcompete 
the noise in a city and they're changing their song accordingly, then it could be that they're actually singing a less good song that, that uh, effectively doesn't sell them as well as a song which they could sing if it were quieter. And again, this may affect the mate choices that they, they make because birds are using these as proxy markers of uh, whether a, an, another individual is, is the best mate for them. And if they choose the wrong mate, then they're potentially mixing their genes with the wrong set of genes, producing an animal which is going to be less fit in the long term. Yikes. Yikes. Speaking of animals, Barris, in Bloberg's rant, Sand. Morning, gentlemen. Just a question. I'm sure there's that expression that animals can smell a person's fear. Mm. Is it actually true? Hello, Barris. Uh, interesting question. I don't know the answer to this for certain, but I can give you some interesting speculations and some evidence. Animals are very good at picking up on a range of signals that come from us. They have exquisite senses of smell. Animals have exquisite senses of vibration, especially animals with whiskers. They also have very good vision in some cases. And their survival depends upon reading their opposition and their opposite number, their potential enemies or, or their potential dinner. And so they become very good at picking up on the emotion or the behaviour and signals being given away by other animals. And this can include us. And I know for a fact that, that, that a cat, I mean, my wife's got some cats, and I know for a fact they know when I'm looking at them. They can recognise the fact that, um, that I'm staring at them. Because if I look at them and give them a nasty look when, they, when they're doing something they shouldn't, they run off and, and go back to where they should be. So they, they therefore recognise what my face is. They know eyes and they know they're being looked at. In the same way, when people are frightened, then they breathe more quickly, they produce other sounds, they, they look scarier, uh, they look scared, uh, they, their hair may stand on end, they may, they may tremble. And all of these are giveaway signs and symptoms that an animal could pick up on in order to know that means fear, this means that this individual is frightened of me, which means I have a good chance of winning if we have a fight. So they can see fear, they can't smell it. Well, they may be able to smell it too. They may be able to smell it too, because when you when you are frightened, you also sweat more profusely, and and so when you sweat more profusely, you may produce other volatile odors from your skin, which these animals could pick up on. I mean, a dog has a sense of smell which is hundreds of thousands of times more powerful than my own, mm. and we know that dogs can can smell us a mile off, quite literally. So they may well be able to pick up on those subtle changes in in how your skin smells uh, differently when you're scared or sweaty compared to when you're calm. There you go, bears. Thank you. Uh, in Randburg, Sandor, hi. Hi. Um, my question is, how, how do you measure IQ? And uh, is that different uh, group of humans get different IQ? Hello, Sandor. Th this is a very good question. And the reason it's a very good question is that um, IQ tests are, if you're not very careful, a flawed measure of intelligence. Uh -huh. Because most of these tests rely on an individual, for instance, being able to read in order to read the questions to do the, to do the test. Correct. But you could say, well, if I went to the middle of the outback in Australia and I found some Aboriginal people who have managed to survive in one of the worst and most inhospitable environments for 40,000 years, they're clearly not 
unintelligent. They're, cl they're clearly bright people who know how to work with nature. They know how to keep themselves alive in what would otherwise kill the average person. Correct. They're therefore intelligent. If you gave them a, a, an, an IQ test and they couldn't read, you would conclude their IQ was extremely low and that they were some kind of idiot. This yeah. is clearly not true. So we have to be very careful how we deploy these tests and what we measure. There's also an interesting phenomenon called the Flynn effect after Dr. Flynn or Professor Flynn from, I think is at Otago University in New Zealand, who showed that if you look at IQ test results over time, they appear to be rising and people would therefore um, be uh, regarded as much more intelligent today than they were 20, 30 years ago. In fact, if you wound the clock back at the present rate of growth, you would conclude that most of the population were idiots about 50 years ago. No. This is clearly not true. Uh, and again, it reflects the fact that these tests are looking at specific things relevant to our upbringing and, and the environment in which we, we grow up in. And you therefore have to be very careful what you conclude about intelligence and what intelligence really is. And I, I don't think we have a clear definition um, that fits all of those bills and the examples I've given you. Mm. When, when do you pick? What age? Well, 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 I think that's a hard question. Again, that's a really hard question to answer because if I, if I look at my children, they are learning many new words every day in English, whether yeah. they realize it or not. I've never sat down and had to teach them English. They can speak it fluently and they picked it up automatically and they speak it brilliantly. If I now want them to learn another language, like French, that they're trying to learn at school, they will now struggle. Yeah. And they need a teacher to help them. Mm. And you could say, well, well, how, d how did they manage to learn that language? They, they must have been super intelligent when they were little. Uh, now, they're, now they're very thick. <laughs> they need a teacher. <laughs> and it's, it, it's interesting. The, the way the brain works evolves with age, um, yeah. up to a point, and the way that we think changes with age because as we get older we have a lot more wisdom we have a lot more experience and we can bring to bear that experience to mm. solve a problem whereas when we're younger we tend to have uh, an unbiased mind that is more like a sponge that can soak up information oh, yeah. and uh, and therefore you have a very quick ability to absorb information and deploy it but mm. you're not necessarily at your peak i would therefore say that that actually uh, life's an interesting thing because as you get older you definitely get much better at doing some things but you become less good perhaps creatively, um, because you're not able to think outside the box so easily because your your mind becomes constrained by a rigid template of, of what you think the world should be like based on your past experience. Oy, so it's back to the drawing board for that. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been fantastic. We look forward to seeing you in Joburg. Oh, I'm looking forward to that very much. Thank you for having me, everybody. Yeah, See you fantastic. Soon. See you soon. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.